without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. That was Mueller's call. That's what God impressed upon him because he had seen, he had seen people in his community. He actually gives an example in his book, this man who had worked all the time, even on Sunday, and he said, well, why don't you stop working so much and spend time in the Word of God? Because that is how you will be fed, you and your family. And the guy said, well, if I stop working, I won't have enough to feed my family. And Mueller said, well, when you're sick, how do you feed your family? Because in those days, there wasn't a such thing as sick days. You get paid for not working. He said, well, it just works out. Exactly. God provides. Um, but beyond that, he also says the essential reasons why he opened these orphanages is that God may be glorified should he be pleased to furnish me with the means in its being seen that it is not in vain, not a vain thing to trust in him and that thus the faith of his children Mueller realized that someone living by faith could encourage the faith of others. And how many people have you known who have heard the story of Mueller and been encouraged? Whether you've read the book or read about him or heard about him in a sermon, George Mueller was a man of faith. He took everything to God in prayer. And he had, he was so meticulous to, to make an account for every request made and every response. And he had thousands, literally thousands of answered prayer that he could point to in his life. And it wasn't, oh, I'm George Mueller, I'm, the, I'm a great person. No, he said, my God is great. My God can provide all that I need. And so I believe that he had and that's why I wanted to start with him as an illustration, because we'll keep pulling him back in as we talk about the gift of faith. So, here in verse 9, it says, To another faith by the same Spirit. Again, this work is to unify the body, right? The gifts are not to cause division, which is a problem that Paul is partially addressing here. There's division over which gifts are more important. And when we get finished going through this list of gifts and, and giving an overview of each one, in verses 12 through 23 or so, Paul really hammers home that each gift is just as important as the other. The difference is some gifts get a lot more uh, fame, a lot more attention. Why? Because they're more expressed they're more awesome for a lack of better words they they are totally outside of our realm of understanding because oftentimes people think about the the gifts we talked about last week the word of knowledge and a, a word of wisdom we think oh that's great but those are just as important for the growth of the church as miracles and healing I'm not saying we don't want those things, 
But we need to have all of these things, not just one, because I think the Corinthian church, they were thriving on the sign gifts. They loved the signs and the wonders, but they didn't necessarily love the gifts of prophecy. Why do you think Paul in chapter 14 is constantly urging them, you need to be seeking prophecy more in the church for the building up of the church? Not that we, don't, we ignore the other gifts, but he's saying there's a deficiency in your body in the gift of prophecy. So you need to seek earnestly for that. So, that's a side note I didn't even have in my notes. Anyways, um, so the gift of faith, what is it? I think this is a question that many people, is it, is it just saving faith? Or is it just the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we read of in Ephesians? I don't think so. And here's why. It is not because Paul is talking to the body and says that it, this gift is for the common good, right? Where do we see that? Right there at the end of verse 7. What do you say? He says, but each one, talking about the gifts, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So this, these gifts are for all, but the gift is functioning in that way, so that, that's one part of it. And secondly, this I think is even more strongly supports what I'm saying, we are told that this is a special gift. Right in verse 11 it says, But the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So let's just take saving faith, for example. Do just some of us have saving faith in the body? I hope not. Because if you don't have saving faith, you are not born again. And if that's not enough, what does Romans 1, 16 and 17 say? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What? What do you believe? The gospel. That believe is faith. If you don't believe the gospel, you cannot be born again. And he didn't finish. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. faith, As it is written, but the righteous man or the just shall live by faith. So I don't believe when we look at this, this is just saving faith. And I will say, I think a lot of people look at saving faith as like some minuscule faith. It isn't. If there is anything that we need faith more for more than anything, is it's saving faith. Because how many times is it, has the devil in your lifetime tried to convince you that God could not save you or that your sin was too big for God. Many times he has in my life. Maybe you haven't had that problem, but that doesn't diminish what saving faith is, but it is different. And then the fruit of the Spirit is, we see that it is a, a growth when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. 
I was thinking about this the other day. I saw a sign, which when I see this sign, I know what neighborhood I'm in. I always look around and look at the houses around me, and it makes me wonder if they actually know what the things that they're putting on their yard mean. Have any of you seen the We Believe sign with 20 different things they believe? Like BLM or whatever. Have you seen that sign? I have. Guess what? I see it always in affluent neighborhoods. Especially some in Louisville. I'm like, you do realize that you have what you have because you believe something else, that hard work pays off. But all these things that you're listing are in opposition to what you say you believe. And yet these very same people will say, I am not religious. Wrong. They have a statement of faith on their front yard. And you know, a church typically has a statement of faith of, we believe the Holy Spirit is... Or we believe God the Father. We believe Christ, the Son of God. Except their statement of faith is all humanistic. It is all about something. So that's another thing. This faith is not faith in faith. I think this is something a lot of people miss out on. They think, well, if I just have faith in something, it'll be okay. No, it is not faith in something. It is faith in in the God who created the universe and whose word is what we believe. It is not enough to just have faith in the power of faith because there is so much trash going around in our world. I mean, just get on Facebook and look at the things people are believing. Or how many people use faith as kind of a... Um, it's become like a an Eastern meditation. Well, if I say the right words in the right order, then I'll be okay. No. If I imitate that person exactly, if I do exactly what George Mueller did, then it's going to work for me. Not necessarily. The gift of faith is different for each person who is given it by the Holy Spirit. So I want to define what I think this is. And I, t I take this definition from the Renewal Theology book, which I would highly recommend. I have been so blessed by reading this systematic theology. I haven't read the whole thing, but his section on the, the gifts of the Spirit has just been really uh, helpful. Anyways, he says, and he defines the gift of faith is a special importation of faith by the Spirit that is for the good of others. So I've already said it. It's for the common good. So it's a special impartation. It's not just something that everyone has. And that doesn't mean that we can't cry out and seek. Because what does Paul say? He says, seek earnestly the spiritual gifts. That includes faith. And honestly, the gifts that follow this one Rely on faith, right? Faith is something you don't necessarily see until action happens, until God moves. 
Like, we wouldn't know about Mueller's faith unless God had answered. And faith and prayer are essential partners. You want to defeat doubt in your life? Get on your knees. Because the more you spend with God, the more you will learn to trust Him. Because you'll see that He does what He says in His Word. So, what is the gift of faith? Well, we've already said this, for the common good. We're going to see this, I will say this every time, because we have to remember that the gift of faith should never, or the, any gift that the Spirit gives should never be about making someone great. It is always for the good of the body of Christ. Always. It is never to destroy us, or to make one person preeminent over the others because they have a better gift because that's what's happened in Corinth God has blessed them tremendously with the gifts yet they're misusing them for their own gain and to the detriment of others in the body secondly I believe this gift is a permanent gift mostly I mean I do believe there are times when God may give a gift, more generally speaking, but it is a permanent gift. It's not a gift that God just gives and takes away. And a lot of non-charismatic believers want to do that with this gift. They want to say, well, you know, they might be able to have faith this one moment, but... And I, I will say, I believe that some of us may have... We might even have a gift of faith in a certain area, okay? Like, for example, in my life, I feel like God has given me faith for healing. I mean, a lot of us have that because of the teaching that we've heard, but in my, my life, that's a much stronger area, whereas for Megan, she's much stronger in faith for providing needs. And I constantly ask the Lord to increase my ability to be like a Mueller in that area, to trust God in that way. So it may be a specific area that God has gifted you in. But again, this is a spirit-given gift. It is not a something you work up. And it is given to individuals. This is really important. It's not like a whole church has this gift. There are individuals in the church who have the gift of faith, and it may be a specific area, maybe more general. I, I, I can't say because this is the only place that you really see this gift mentioned. But it's given for a purpose. It is given to be used. It's not given to just store up and, oh, I have great faith. Well, what's happening in their life? It's like what James said. You say you have great faith, let me see what you're doing. It's not about us working our way to heaven. It's about using the gift that God has given. And you say, well, how, do you, how can you come to that conclusion? 1 Timothy 4, if you look there with me. Verse 13. Paul is encouraging Timothy What's Timothy again? He, 
Timothy is his kind of son. Paul wasn't married. He's his, his son in the church. His closest disciple. It says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now, I believe that what he's talking about here is the fact that Timothy had a gift for preaching. Maybe what we talked about, word of wisdom and word of knowledge. But, and he was, you know, when we get to the end of chapter 12 here, it talks about the ministries, the, the titles of those who have some of these gifts. So I would label Timothy a, a preacher, and you can see that in, the, in verse 13. You see those, his, his thing. Give attention to public reading of Scripture. That would be a teaching or, or a preaching ministry. To exhortation and teaching. So Paul is actually summing up what his gift is. He's saying, don't neglect it. How would you neglect it? By not doing it. By not using the gift that God has given you. I think a lot of what has happened in our groups is we've become stagnant because we stopped using what God gave. Maybe from unbelief. Maybe from a fear of man or, or feeling like, well... God keeps using me this way, surely He's going to use me differently. We should be content. Not to, to stay there, but we, we could, can continue to earnestly seek, but let's continue to use the gift God is giving us so that we don't become stagnant and neglect the gift. He says this at the end. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I mean, I can't think of a better passage of Scripture to share with pastors or those who are in a teaching position. If you have the gift of teaching or the gift of preaching or pastoring, it takes work. God doesn't just give us gifts and then say, oh, you, don't, you just sit back and I'll take control. You don't have any control over this. I mean, there are times, I mean, look in the Old Testament. Saul was sending guys to kill David, and the, the guys started breaking out in prophecy. I mean, <laughs> they couldn't control that. But God, God had a plan. He was not going to allow Saul to kill David. Or even Saul, remember, right before he got anointed to be king, he was on his way to go, and he met some prophets, and he began to prophesy. So when I said that at some point, sometimes these gifts are not permanent, but it's more generally speaking, they are. It's not a short-term event. Secondly, so we need to be using them, not to neglect them, but we also need to rekindle these gifts as well. Say, well, how do you know that? Paul 
writes to Timothy again in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear, con clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears. Okay, this is a side note, and what not necessarily a part of the message, but can you see the love that Timothy and Paul had for one another, that relationship that God had built in them? I hope you do, because when we see family members going away to serve the Lord, it brings tears to our eyes, right? Or we have to go. It says, so that I may be filled with joy that the tears of joy that he sees in, in him or the tears of, of Timothy at seeing him and they fill him with joy because he knows his love. It says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Anise. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, because of this, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God gives a freshing. We need to be asking God, fill me afresh with your spirit. I think this is not only biblical, but it's something we miss out, we forget about a lot. If you read the book of Acts, there's multiple times when the Spirit fills them afresh after Pentecost. They said, God, give us courage right after they've been accused and, and they're rejoicing. Oh, thank you, Lord, we're being persecuted. But then they, they, they pray together and they ask God to give them boldness and courage to witness and power. And what does God do? He fills them afresh with His Spirit. Not many days from when the Pentecost happened. And yet we run around and we think the first time is all we need. And I'm not, please, I'm not trying to downplay being filled with the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we need to be filled afresh. If you don't think so, look around you. Are you seeing God move daily in your life through a, a spiritual move that's obvious it's not of man? We should be. That's why I titled this message Mountain Moving Faith because I believe this gift of faith cannot be explained by man's power. It is not something a man can do. Yeah, a man can dynamite a mountain, but he can't move a mountain. So we said it's to be used, it's to be rekindled. But most importantly, I would label this kind of faith, this spirit, spiritual gift of faith as mountain-moving faith. William says this, he says, A mountain accordingly is that which cannot be overcome or accomplished by human effort. 
That's why I like this title. So, it is not faith, and I've already got a little excited about this, so I'll try to not be so excited about it this time since I've already got that out there, but he also gives a list of things that this faith isn't, and then I hope the point that we leave today with. It is not faith in any word or action of one's own. For example, believing that by speaking to a mountain it will move. You say, well, what, do you, what do you mean? I think what he's trying to say is, look, it's not just, okay, if I say the right words or if I do the right things, then this will work. I think a lot of people think that. I mean, just look at the teaching of people like uh, Kenneth Hagin. You know, if you do this, God's ob uh, obligated to do it. It's like, uh, does his word say that? Is, are we trusting in God's word? Or are we trusting in our own word and our own actions? We need to be led by the Spirit in each and every situation. When we go out to trust God and to exercise faith in God, we need to be led by the one who gave it to us. It's not for us to just willy-nilly think, well, if I do this exact thing, it's going to work. Unless God's word says it, yes. But it's not faith in our words or faith in our actions. It's faith in the word of God. It's faith in the living God. Secondly, it is not faith in faith. Again, I, I know I got excited about this and I'm trying to stay calm, but this is the thing that I see so many times on memes and Facebook and whatever. We disguise it as Christian, but really it is not Christian. Faith and faith will not get you anything. Faith and faith will never glorify God. And you can quote me on that and put it on Twitter and Facebook and see how much people like it. I don't know. But faith and faith will never glorify God. Because when we say that it is not that it is a is that faith and faith is good enough, we're saying that it is it's like saying I believe with sufficient strength and vigor the wonder will be accomplished. If I, if I work my faith up enough, then it'll work. No, this is faith in God's power, not in my ability to work up faith. That's why, remember the man, he came to Jesus, and he said, do you have faith to believe for your son? And what did his son say? Or what did he say? He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He knew that he couldn't build up his own faith on himself. He needed Jesus Christ. He needed the Spirit to fill him with faith so that he could believe. I think these two issues that I just mentioned are issues that are often ignored or kind of brushed over. And we don't realize that oftentimes we fall into these two categories. Oftentimes we 
we think if we say the right thing or if we work it up enough, if we convince ourselves of it, it'll be okay. It'll, it'll work. But it's not about convincing us. It is about God giving us faith, crying out to God. And that's why I said prayer is so important. We will not have the faith we need in the moments we need if we spend no time with God. And I think that was the point that George Mueller made when he was talking to that man who was working 14 hours a day and every day of the week. Like, his faith was not in God. His faith was in his ability to work. And the re- problem was, though he, con- he claimed to be a follower of Christ, he wasn't living that way. And I, I too, have to be careful in this. Our actions... We may not say these things that I've just talked about, but our actions prove that we believe like this. If I work hard enough, God will provide for me. How many times do we say, well, they don't have anything because they don't work hard? Have you you ever heard someone say that? That doesn't mean we don't work because God said if a man doesn't work, He shouldn't eat. If a man can't provide for his own. But my faith is not in my ability to work. Or it shouldn't be. At times, I know God has dealt with me about this. But it's not in our ability to work. It is in God's power to provide for us through that work. Because at some point, with the direction that our country is going you won't be able to provide for your family in that way because being a Christian will cause you to lose your job, work opportunities. Now, I don't know what the mark of the beast is going to be, but it's pretty clear that we won't be able to go to the stores or whatever. We're going to have to trust God to provide for us. And we need to... Think through, okay, Lord, what, am, I, am I trusting in my bank account? Am I trusting in what I have in stock or in my property or, or in my ability to, to have my own animals and have a farm? I'm not saying those aren't good, but I'm saying where is my faith? Is it in my ability to provide for myself or is it in God to provide for me in the means that he's given to me so I've just given you two negatives of what this mountain moving faith is not that this this gift of the spirit is not it is and all faith would fall under this category it is faith in God I've already said that believing that he as the living God is able and ready to move mountains such faith rests wholly in God. I'm going to quote it again. It is faith in God. Believing that He, as the living God, is able and ready to move mountains. Such faith rests wholly in God. Would you say that George Mueller fell under 
that category? I think so. He was so careful that even when he would receive a gift from someone, he would pray first before he would take it. Lord, I want to make sure that this is not being taken because we really need it. I want it to be from you. I don't know that he ever rejected a gift, but he, that was his, his heart. I'm not saying, I'm sure George Mueller had his, his issues. I know he, he struggled with health most of his life and faith in that area. So he, like I said, he, he's not a perfect person. But he's a great example of someone who, who had mountain-moving faith. I mean, how do you move a mountain of $14 million to, through your lifetime to build these buildings? And they weren't junk. He, he did quality things. He had a ni nice things for these children. And it's so interesting to read his story and to see how many of these young men and women God has used for his glory. That these kids got off the streets, they didn't become drug addicts and whatever the, the issues were. But they had experienced love as from their Heavenly Father. So I want to use three examples and then we'll close from the Bible. One from the Old Testament, one from Christ, and one from Paul. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. We all know this story, right? I mean, Elijah, if there was a man who had the gift of faith, he did. Except when evil Jezebel got angry and he ran off crying it's easy to say like that because we didn't experience what he went through i mean you go on a you you have a great victory on mount carmel which we're about to read a little bit about and then you go down in the valley and jezebel says i'm going to kill you you think well we just defeated you up there why do i have to deal with you anymore you satanic woman led by god the, you know under the control of satan I mean, I don't know of anything good that's ever said of Jezebel in the entire... I mean, at least there were good things said about other people in the Bible, but Jezebel just, I think she is the epitome of wickedness. But anyways, side note, but Elijah, I mean, so many miracles and his faith was so strong because his faith was a gift. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it say? When Elisha was going with him, give me a double portion. I mean, I don't know anybody that throws a piece of wood into the water and axe heads float. That was Elisha. Or bears come out of the woods to kill a bunch of kids who are blaspheming God and the prophet of God. I know that's a story we don't talk about very often, but... Or when somebody's dead man's bones are thrown, a dead man is thrown on the bones of a prophet, that person comes alive. That's what happened. It's incredible. God's power in the gift of faith. So 
What does this gift of faith look like in his life? So we know the story. The prophets of Baal are just, they are actually, if you want to think about it, they, are, they believe that, that faith is a word or action, and they believe that faith and faith is enough. Right? Because they're, oh yeah, if we work it all up, oh man, we're going get, to get be super strong in faith. This Baal will have to answer us eventually. If we cut ourselves and do enough penance or whatever it may be, then, then we can get Baal to answer us and pour down fire and take our sacrifice. That's the first half of the story. And then verse 27 says, It came about noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is God. Either he's occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they just, it just continues. They, they're working all day and all night to try to, to work up this. Not all night, but. But then, in verse 30, this is what it says. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. I think this is interesting. He, there was an altar there that had been torn down because of Baal worship. And here he is building it back. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, in whom the word of the Lord said, And Israel shall be your son, name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. which they say is about 11 quarts. So 11 quarts. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now, Elijah, you're crazy. How's God going to burn it up if it's covered with water? I mean, haven't you tried to start a fire in the rain? Haven't you tried to burn wet wood? It just doesn't work, Elijah. And he said, do it a second time, Elijah. Really? All these other guys, they're doing everything they can to try to... They, they probably even threw matches like within inches of the thing. Okay, you can make it go over there, Baal. Okay, maybe not, but... They're doing everything in their power to get Baal to pour out fire on it. And Elijah's like, okay, hey, uh, can you bring that dump truck over here and dump all the water on it? He's, he's not afraid. Why? His faith is in God. It's not in himself. He's been given a word of faith from God. And so what does it say? He says, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, I don't think it's enough. We need more water. A third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Now, you're on a mountain. This is a trial, really, between God and Baal, and the worshipers of Baal. Listen to Elijah's prayer. 
At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, our Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah had faith in God's word, not his own. He didn't have faith in a fake God. He didn't have faith in faith. He had faith in the word of his God who he served. And his faith, that gift of faith that God had given him, that we see throughout his ministry, was constantly growing and affecting change. What happened on Mount Carmel could not have happened in the natural realm. It's impossible. People try to explain away this. Well, a lightning bolt struck it. Well, maybe. But guess what? It was sent by God. It was very coincidental that that lightning bolt struck at the exact moment that Elijah stopped praying. If, if you want to just say that. But it says fire fell from heaven. And it burnt, consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You're telling me that lightning can make a stone turn to dust? I've never seen that kind of fire. When you see a house burn down, guess what's left? The brick fireplace or the stone fireplace and the foundation never burns that was the power of God it was impossible with man there's one example Jesus and Mark 11 you turn there with me this is actually leading up to a great passage that we all know by heart You remember the, what Jesus did to the fig tree? He saw a fig tree that looked like it was pretty, looked like it had everything, but there was no fruit. So he cursed it. And this is what it says about the next day. It says... As they were passing by, the mor- by in the morning, they saw the fig tree, in verse 20, withering from the roots up. How often does that happen? Have you ever seen that happen? What Usually the branches start falling off, the trunk starts to rot, but it's not from the roots up. 
That's not natural. Being reminded, verse 21, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. It's almost like, how did that happen? I can't believe that happened. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he has but that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. You see my mountain moving faith that actually came from this example and the help of the, that book that I read. And then we have all, we all know this, verse 24, therefore... Say to you all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. We know that verse. But it's interesting that it follows this, this story of the cursed fig tree. It was an example to the apostles of what mountain-moving faith was like. It's a faith that can curse a tree and it stops. Jesus also talks about casting a sycamore tree in Matthew into the sea. But here he says, I say to you, whoever says, be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. This, I believe, is an example in Jesus' life of the Spirit's gift of faith. Because what do we know? Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, but He's living in the power of the Spirit on earth. So these gifts are flowing through Him, all of them. Jesus prophesies. He gives words of knowledge. He gives words of wisdom. He's got faith, healing, wonders, He's the encapsulation of one filled with the Spirit. So I believe this is a moment where Jesus is exercising the gift of faith. And more specifically, this special gift of faith. It's not something that everyone has, and some may have it in a proportion to another. It may, it may be at differing levels. Of faith. But there's a couple things that I want us to see here in verse 23. Well, I think verse 22 is very helpful for us to remind us of my last point and the point I hope that we leave. Have faith in God. It is faith in God that hap makes this work. It's not faith in your words or your thoughts, but when God, through His Spirit, gives you faith for something, believe it. Act on it. I can think of multiple times in my life where I was impressed by God that my child would be healed when I woke up in the morning. Or I would be healed when I woke up in the morning. Or 
that it was finished. There was no more need to pray. And while I don't know that it was specifically this gift, I want to be careful that we're not labeling everything a gift of the Spirit that isn't. But we also need to be careful not to, to say, well, that's not. Anyways, side note. But in verse 23, he says, we need to say, faith speaks words. It's not just keep it to yourself. It's a, it, remember this, this gift is for the common good. It's for the good of all. So this needs to be known, what you're believing for. What, what God is saying and encouraging you in. And it may result in healing. It may result in a miracle, which would fall under the gifts of healing and, and miracles. Because faith is a precursor to that working, right? If you don't have faith that God has given you the gift of healing, then when you go to operate in that gift, you're not going to have any success. So faith... This special kind of faith is honestly kind of a precursor to those because the, the, the gifts of healing are the action that follows faith. Anyways, so back to 23. I think there's something we need to, to realize here. Does not doubt in his heart. Doubt is the enemy of this gift as of any faith that we see just think about it how many times did jesus get on the disciples because they did not believe it was because of your unbelief he would say or don't you believe why are you afraid and that's again where prayer comes in we need to be on our knees because the more we spend time with God, the more we will trust Him, I promise you. This, this makes sense in the natural realm. If you want to trust me, what do you need to do? Spend time around me and find out if I do what I say I'm going to do and if I'm good at what I say I'm good at. But if you never spend time with me, you will not trust me to tear the roof off your house and put a new one on. Why? Because you're afraid the rain's going to come in, he's not going to do a good job, and when he's done, I'm just going to have water all through my house and need to just tear it down. Right? It's interesting. We're willing to hire somebody off the street on the word of someone else to do something that we can't do but could be catastrophic to our home or business or whatever I mean I wouldn't hire Samuel but somebody else might I'm picking on him because he's not here very regularly <laughs> but we people hire us on the word of someone else I think this is kind of goes back to to Mueller Mueller says God works Okay, I'm going to go to God. You see that? When we trust God and people say, I can't believe that you have that. Well, God, God did it. Really? I didn't believe God. I didn't know God was real. Or I, didn't, I didn't know that God was still working. 
yeah, that's how that happened. It's like our house that we have. It was all God. I mean, we didn't have the money. And we actually weren't even planning on moving when the gift was given. God already had it planned out for us. I'm having to work. Joseph kindly helped me and probably still sore. Um, after the last time, probably not going to volunteer for a while. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but God gives in his power. So we need, we need to believe. We, we have to, com- to fight doubt in our heart. And I think that's one way. It's through prayer. And it's another thing. Intercession. I think this gift of faith is often expressed in intercessory prayer. People who are compelled to pray because they know that God will move. And they're not going to stop because they know that God has given them this burden for this person. And that when that healing or that act, whatever God is compelling them to believe for, when God is done, they know, okay, I'm at peace. I don't have to keep praying because I know that I've got the answer. I I believe a lot of times intercessors have this gift because of that. They don't have a doubt that God will move. But we all can learn that prayer will help. Finally, let's look at Paul in Acts chapter 27, and then we'll close. I just want to give us examples because I think it's so easy to just, I mean, I could have easily talked about the gifts, this gift, and just been like, okay, we're done. But I I think we need to see examples of this working out in everyday life. I mean, we can see people like Mueller, but we're far removed from him, and that just seems incredible. 10,000 people? There's no way God would provide through me for 10,000 people. Well, it is possible. It is possible. And I'm sure when Mueller started, he didn't expect that God would. But God increased his faith each time, and he continued to grow in that gift. He didn't neglect it. He was constantly rekindling it by spending time in the Word and prayer. Acts chapter 27. So in this story, Paul is on his way. He's in a ship, and they hit a big, bad storm. Paul has already warned them that God has told them that if they go, they're going to have a shipwreck. And they ignored him. So God gave him a prophetic vision already about this. And it says in verse 21, When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood in their midst and said, Men, You ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete. I'm sure they were all hoping to hear this message. (laughs) Right? Everyone loves the guy that says, you should have listened to me and we wouldn't be in this boat right now. (laughs) Literally, in this case. (laughs) Uh, And incurred this damage and loss. Yet now, I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He's trying to encourage them. He's like, 
yeah, you should have listened to me, but God has given me a word. He says, for this very night, an angel of the Lord, of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. I have two questions here. First, why is Paul not afraid? Is it because he has faith in faith? Is it because he has done the right things and he, he believes something's going to work? No, it's God sent an angel to him. And spoke a word, so his faith was in God who spoke to him. Secondly, kind of side note. When it says God has granted you all those who are sailing with you, what do you think that means? I've never thought about this until today. But Paul must have been praying for these men. Asking God to preserve their lives. Because why would God say God has granted you? He's given you your request. So this whole time they're in the sea, Paul's not saying, I, they should have listened to me. Let them all drown. No, he's praying to God, preserve their life. I know the ship has value, but I'm going to keep praying for these men. They, dis they didn't listen to me. They didn't listen to you, Lord, but please spare their lives. And God does. That's faith. Verse 25. He says, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God. This, it would not be natural for all those men to survive. But God said they would. And so Paul said, I believe. This here is Paul acting in the gift of faith. What did he say? He says, I believe God that it will turn out or happen in the King James just or exactly as it has been told me. Exactly as I have been told exactly. That's faith. That is special faith. That's not just run-of-the-mill faith. Yes, I believe that when I open my fridge, there will be milk in there. But it's not because somebody told me that. It's because I saw it with my own eyes. But this faith, that every single soul on that ship would be saved from drowning. Paul couldn't have seen that. The circumstances said they're all going to drown, or at least half of them. The, bad, the guys that can't swim are toast. I mean, the ones that thought that getting in the ship business would require them not to learn how to swim, I mean, those guys are done for. But they all survived and they eventually believed him they believed they saw not only was Paul right the first time
This guy, he's not afraid. He's not fearful. He's encouraging us. We'll believe you, Paul. Your first word was right, but we'll believe that we'll all make it. Because some of them tried to get off the boat, remember? They tried to go out on a ship. He said, if you get in that ship, you won't. If you, don't, if you get in that little, that little boat, whatever, you're not going to make it. But you've got to stay on this ship because God said we need to run it aground. So we make it. The question is in our, in our body today is, do we earnestly seek this gift? Are we earnestly desiring that we would have the gift of faith? I don't know what gifts God will be giving to each of us and has given to some of us already. But we need to be earnestly seeking God to give us this gift. We need His Spirit to empower this church, empower our lives, so that when we are out in the world, that the lost will hear of God because of our faithfulness to Him. Our world is getting darker every day. I mean, just this last week we saw all that has happened, and I would not be surprised... I'm not saying this prophetically, but I wouldn't be surprised if the events of Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever day that was, would be used by those who hate Christ to begin to persecute the church and Christians. Not because I'm a Trump supporter or whatever. I'm not talking politics. I'm just talking, I, I saw at least three posts by people who claim to be Christians condemning any Christian who didn't agree with the garbage that our world is spewing. People that I went to school with and did stuff with, I thought at that time were following God and yet, and they used that event as a thing to say, shame on you. Well, it's going to become worse than that. And I'm not trying to be a bearer of bad news, or, but if there is ever a time in the history of this church, in the history of our country, that we need His Spirit to be moving and to see faith moving and, and acting and seeing these gifts, every single one of them operating in our church, it is now. Because we will not survive if God is not with us. And if it is not God who is empowering the growth and the, the health of this body. So let's pray. Well, I just pray that you would pour out this specific gift on those in this body that you would desire to use them. Lord, if it was me, I would would love that. I earnestly desire to be used by you and the gifts that you give. Father, we need all of these gifts in this church to flow. Not so that we can be some mega church or some powerful something, but so that we would magnify you and see the lost saved. See your kingdom 
making effect in lives who are lost and hopeless so that we could walk with you all the days of our lives. Lord, encourage us this week. Put in us a fire, a desire for more of you. Give us a hunger and thirst for your spirits filling afresh or new, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We trust, Lord, that you will go with us this week. Lord, I pray that you would bless and keep us as we go. Give us wisdom and guidance as we seek to serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray the Lord has spoken to you this morning, and I pray that God would encourage you as you continue to seek the gifts in your own life and for our church. So I look forward to seeing those of you that come on Wednesday, and we'll, yeah.